Thank you for the beauty of the day and the privilege of being able to be together. Now I pray that what we just sung is what you'll do. Word of God speak. In our hearts, our minds, our lives, show us the need for us every day to make that our prayer. Every day to seek the truth, the life-changing relevance of your word in our hearts and our lives. Show us that in a new way, I pray for me and us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I plan to talk about this last week before what happened with Gerald and his son, but it's still relevant today, even though it's been going on a little longer than that. As you know, there may be a little thing in the news going on as regards confidential documents and uh, uh, government-related uh, uh, high top secrets. Uh, you, you've heard something about this in the news, right? Starting with pre former President Trump and then President Biden and then Mike Pence and all the stuff that's in the midst of all that and still going on right now. I saw in the news this morning that there is continued movement toward uh, further searching of homes and questions as regards to other people that could be involved in some of the stuff and all of this and how big a deal is it or isn't it and how much of it is politics and how much of it isn't. But here's one thing we haven't heard, at least I haven't heard in all of this. Haven't heard anybody come along and say, you know, he's the president. He ought to get to do whatever he wants. Haven't heard anybody say that. That he's above the law. I mean, he's the commander in chief. He's the, you know, he's the leader of the free world. I mean, you know, what's the big deal here? I mean, if he wants to have these documents, why can't he have these documents? Why is this such a, I haven't heard anybody claim that, which makes us pretty unique in the history of the human story. To be a nation built on laws rather than lords. To be a nation built on rules rather than rulers. Where all of us, even the president, is to be under the authority of the rule of law. That's kind of unique in the history of nations. That whole idea, however, of living under authority has been in the last few decades seriously under attack. You start back in the 60s with the Vietnam War and distrust of government as a result of all of that. Then you're thinking about the sexual revolution of the 60s and water, Woodstock and all that's inside that, and that, of course, up to the current day. Uh, you think about LGBTQ movements, the Stonewall riots in 69. You think specifically about Watergate, the scandal, and the horrific loss of trust in the authority of the government. And from there till now, now we're in a movement called postmodernism, been there for years, post-truth culture. You have your truth, I have my truth. I have no right to force my beliefs on you. You have no right to force your beliefs on me. Uh, it, it's my body, my choice, as we hear so often, whether that's abortion or that sexual orientation, gender identity, or that's euthanasia, or whatever the issue is. We're living in this world that is convinced that authority is what you believe it to be. You are your own sole authority. As Heidegger says, you're an actor on a stage, you have no script, audience, or director, no past or future, encourages to make life what it is. Go for it. Look out for number one. Pull your own strings. Just do it. You are your own authority, the culture says. How's that working for us? Is that the right way to live our best life? In January and now in February, because we're a week late with this message, we're looking for ways to live a life God can bless this year. So we've talked about living on mission. We've talked about using our time well. We've talked about using our influence well. Let's talk about this subject today. Let's close with this. Should you be living under authority? And if so, which one? Well, here's my hero. This is C.S. Lewis, 
read everything he's written. Everybody should read everything he's written. If you haven't read Mere Christianity, when you get to heaven, you're going to have to. There's a big stack of them right inside the pearly gates, and they're waiting there for you, and you can't go any further till you sit down and read it, so you may as well get it over with. Just may as well do it now would be my advice to you. Well, anyway, in Mere Christianity, changed my life, this book did. First time I'd seen anyone deal with faith intellectually. Anyway, long story inside that. Lewis wants to talk about our subject. Now, he's writing as an Oxford professor, all right, when he makes this statement. Do not be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority only means believing them because you've been told them by someone you think trustworthy. 99% of the things you believe are believed on authority. I believe there is such a place as New York. I have not seen it myself. I could not prove by abstract reasoning that there must be such a place. I believe it because reliable people have told me so. The ordinary man believes in the solar system, atoms, evolution, and the circulation of the blood on authority because the scientists say so. Every historical statement in the world is believed on authority. None of us has seen the Norman Conquest or the defeat of the Armada. None of us could prove them by pure logic as you prove a thing in mathematics. We believe them simply because people who did see them have left writings that tell us about them, in fact, on authority. A man who complained about authority and other things, as some people do in religion, would have to be content to know nothing all his life said Lewis, about this idea that we should be our own authority, that there's no such thing as authority outside of you. This is Paul Powell, the late Paul Powell, wonderful pastor. He pastored Green Acres Baptist Church in Tyler for many years and became the executive director of Guidestone Annuity Board of the SBC, just kind of one of the great pastors in Baptist life, kind of a real elder statesman. He looks at it this way. Man needs some authority in his life. Without duly recognized authority, chaos would soon result in every realm of life. For example, he writes, there is in Washington, D.C., a Bureau of Standards to uphold the perfect measurement of every weight and measurement that we use in the United States. There's a perfect inch, a perfect pound, a perfect ounce, etc. I didn't know that, but apparently that's true. They are the authority for all weights and measurements used in our country. Can you imagine the confusion that would exist in the world if we did not have such a standard? Inches and pounds would soon shrink or expand according to the wishes of the person doing the measuring. It would not be long until daily business could not be transacted. By the same token, a standard is necessary in order to measure time accurately. There's in Washington, D.C., the Naval Observatory. Every day at 12 o'clock, the observatory gives us the correct astronomical time. What if there were no accurate way to measure time? If everyone got their own time from someone else, pretty soon we would have no idea as to what time really was. So in every other dimension of life, we accept authority, except in religion. When we have this idea, I can be my own God, I can do what I want to do, I can decide what's right for me, I can decide what's true for me, how's that working for us? Paul Powell closes with this. As the compass as an authority for direction, the dictionary is an authority for spelling, the watch is an authority for time, and the calendar is an authority for dates, so the Bible is an authority for our spiritual lives. If you have any doubts as to what to believe or how to live, turn to it for the right answer. So to live a life God can bless this year, live biblically is the idea. Well, why should you do that? Why is that the right way to make hard decisions? 
Why is that an authority that gets to tell you what you should do and not do? What you should start doing and stop doing? Why is that the final answer? Why that? One answer is because the Bible claims to be the Word of God. All scriptures breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Well, but you'd expect it to say that, right? I mean, the Quran claims to be the word of God too. So does the Book of Mormon, the Bhagavad Gita, in a way, that sort of thing. However, second point, Evidence for biblical authority is remarkably compelling. Now, if you'll just settle in and get comfortable and give me the next eight hours. <laughs> these are not really very comfortable chairs, are they? If you do that, I could get started toward a 16-week seminary course that I've taught for 30 years defending biblical authority. We could talk together about manuscripts. We could talk together about fulfilled prophecy. We could talk together about internal consistency. We could talk together about archaeological evidence. Just this morning, in this morning's news, they found an artifact with the name of King David's temple and treasury and authority written on it. Just this morning, 2,900 years old. goes back to the time of David himself. Every week another archaeological evidence that the Bible is true. Again, you're not going to give me eight hours. I don't really want to spend eight hours doing this with you. Could I ask you to trust me when I say that the objective evidence for the Bible is unlike any other ancient book? I mean, hands down, on steroids. Okay, quick example. I'll take two minutes of the eight hours, all right? The oldest, just comes to mind, the oldest ancient copy we have of the writings of Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, 900 years after what Caesar wrote. Oldest copy we have. One copy. 900 years. Oldest copies of the New Testament, 30 years. 5,000 ancient copies in Greek, 10,000 ancient copies in Syriac and other languages. Fulfill prophecy. 48 prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. The odds of that, 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That number is larger than the number of electrons in the universe. I could go on. Evidence that the Bible is the Word of God is remarkably compelling. That would be an answer. Then third, the Bible changes the lives of those who trust its truth. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the Word of Christ. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. The psalmist testified, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, here's an example. Abraham Lincoln. I am profitably engaged in reading the Bible. Take all of this book that you can by reason and the balance by faith. Isn't that a cool thing to say? Abraham Lincoln, take all of this book that you can by reason and the balance by faith, and you will live and die a better man. It is the best book which God has given to man, was Abraham Lincoln's experience. I read just this last week confirmation of something I'd heard and seen, but had not been able to prove. We have confirmation now. Abraham Lincoln was intending to join the Sunday after he was assassinated 
the Presbyterian Church he had been visiting all the time he was president and intended to be baptized and was assassinated on Friday before he could join the church on Sunday. We hear all of this in the news on occasion about Abraham Lincoln the skeptic, all those sorts of things. Well, that was his intention. We now know the Sunday after he was assassinated. That's Lincoln's belief about scripture. N.T. Wright, some say the most brilliant theologian of our day. The Bible is the book of my life. It's the book I live with, the book I live by, and the book I want to die by has been his experience. If you will trust the Bible, it will change your life. It just will, because it's the living word of God. So let's close with the practical question. How would you live biblically this year? How would you make the Bible the authority by which to make your decisions, govern your life, and chart your path? How would you do that? Well, first, starts by reading it every day, right? Does you no good if you don't read it? I'm old enough to remember Mapsco's. Anybody remember Mapsco's way back in the day? Now, a lot of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But even the Mapsco would do you no good unless you got it out, right? The guidance system in your phone does you no good if you don't consult it. It knows better how to get home than you do. But if you don't ask it, it can't tell you. Make an appointment every day to get alone with God and his word. Satan doesn't want you to do this. The enemy will do everything he can to keep this from happening. If you're waiting till you just find time to do this, you won't find time to do this, I promise you. Make a way, make a time, make an appointment. My advice is to start at the beginning of the day. You put gas on the car before you drive the car. Start at the beginning of the day, by even if it's just 10 minutes. Get to a place where you're not surrounded by work. There's not a television on. There's nothing that can distract you. And just spend a few minutes. G.I. Packer says the Bible is God preaching. Spend just a few minutes letting God speak to you from his word. If you're not sure where to start, I suggest the Gospel of John. If you're not sure how much to read, read 10 verses. Just start. And if you're already doing that, I want to encourage you this year to make that the foundational discipline of your life. Make that the north on the compass every day. Recalibrate the compass every single day. Get reoriented every day. Start every day by getting alone in the Word of God. That's the first step. Now ask God's Spirit to explain and apply God's Word to your life. The Holy Spirit that inspired God's Word will teach you God's Word. So as you read the Bible, say, just simply say, Lord, show me what to know here. I do that every day. When I read Scripture every morning, my prayer is, Lord, speak to me today. Lord, show me what you want me to know. Give me the words you want me to have. I also keep a journal, and I write down the things that come to my thoughts. I believe God is speaking to me in that moment, in that experience. Ask God's Spirit to speak from God's Word, and I promise you He will. The days I don't get anything out of Bible study are the days I didn't do what I just said. The days when I'm trying to detect divine wisdom through human work, and it doesn't work. So just make that simple prayer. Lord, speak to me from your word. Remember what Samuel said? Lord, speak. Your servant listens. There, third, through the day, try to think and live biblically. If you have a decision to make, you're facing a challenge, you're up against a temptation, go to Scripture. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't have some seminary degree. Not that you need a seminary degree to do this. Google is your friend. Not on all things, but on this. You can literally ask Google, what does the Bible say about? And Google will tell you that. There's even a thing called openbible.something. 
O-R-G or something. I have to see. I use it all the time. I just don't remember what the three letters are at the end. Have it open. It's one of the tabs open on my machine. People sometimes ask me, how do you know all the verses you use and the stuff you write? Open Bible. I just ask it. You put a topic in, and it will give you 40 references. Google is your friend here. You can learn on your phone. You can ask Google. You can ask Siri, what does the Bible say about? Technology's never made it easier to find out what the Bible says about the decision you're making, the issue you're facing. Memorizing Scripture so God can bring His Word back into your heart and your life. Try to live biblically through the day. Start the day by getting in His Word. Ask the Spirit to speak to you from His Word. As you go through the day, try to think biblically. And then understand, ultimately, last, you're reading the Word of God to encounter the Son of God. The point here is to get closer to the living Lord Jesus. This is not an academic exercise by which we're learning how to repair a carburetor in a 65 Mustang. As important as that is, by the way, and as perfect as a 65 Mustang is, this is not that. The Bible is a means to the end of a personal engagement with the author of the Bible. It would be as though, as you're reading Shakespeare, you could be having a conversation with Shakespeare. That's what's available to you here. No other religion claims that. Nobody claims that as you're reading, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but as you're reading the Quran, you could be engaging Muhammad. Or as you're reading the writings of Buddha, you could be having a personal engagement with Buddha. But I promise you, the Word, of, the Word of God says this. If you will come to Scripture seeking to meet Jesus in the Bible, you'll meet Jesus in the Bible. I love Martin Luther's statement, the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. I love that image. John 20, 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I said at the beginning of the year that my mantra for the year is to know Christ and make him known. That's my passion this year. I'm trying with everything I do to be asking, all right, how does this help me to know Christ and make him known? Not just about Christ, know Christ himself. This morning, I was on a treadmill earlier this morning, and I was thinking about this, and the thought occurred to me, you know, I could only make algebra known if I knew algebra, which I in the eighth grade kind of did, you know? Otherwise, I could tell you about algebra. I could tell you where algebra came from. I could tell you that the word algebra is itself an Arabic word. I could talk about the history of algebra. I could give you the names of great mathematical geniuses who specialized in algebra. But I could only teach you algebra if I understood algebra. In order to make Christ known, I must know Christ. Not just about him. Him. I now look back over 40 years of doing this, and I think so much of what I've gotten wrong has been all the times I've taught people about Jesus more than I've led people to Jesus. Teach people the Bible as an end instead of a means to the end of knowing Jesus. I will tell you this. If you can read the Bible and close the book or turn off the app and you're still the same, you're not done. If you've met Jesus, you can't be the same. And the ultimate purpose of Scripture is to lead us to the Savior, to actually experience Jesus, to know Christ. 
and then you can't help it. You will make him known. Think about the spiritual awakening that would happen in our country if every Christian did that. If our purpose this year was to know Christ, not just about him, know him, and make him known. Not my church, not my denomination, not my beliefs, not my ministry. Him. Make him known. The best way to do that is to meet him in his word. So, to live biblically and therefore a life God can bless. Read scripture, I think, at the start of every day. Ask the Spirit to explain and apply it. Go to it through the day. Read the Word of God to encounter the Son of God. And the world cannot be the same. Billy Graham said, We are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing. We are the sermons the world is heeding. So let's preach well. Well, the reason you and I can do everything we just said is because God has made this available to us. Religions climb up to God. Christianity is God climbing down to us. God wrote a book. The God of the universe wrote a book. And then his son came here to die on our cross, to pay for our sins, to purchase our salvation, so we could have a personal relationship with that God and meet him in his book. So the communion we'll share as we close this service reminds us of the price God paid so we could know him and meet him in his word. Let's pray about that. Take this moment and thank God for writing a book. Thank him for that. I invite you to make a commitment or renew your commitment to meeting him every day in that book. Would you right now ask his spirit to lead you to live biblically by meeting God in his word and by seeking his word through the day? Ask the spirit to help you to live biblically a life God can bless. And then would you thank Jesus for what he did for you so you could know his father and meet him in his word. Lord Jesus, how I thank you that you are alive, that you're living, that you are Lord. And that for a reason I could never begin to understand you want a personal relationship with me. Lord, I can think of so few people in authority that would want a personal relationship with me. And to think that you do is beyond my comprehension. But not beyond my faith. Thank you for dying for me, rising for me, living in me by the power of your Spirit and meeting me every day in your Word as we receive these elements. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will use them to draw us even closer to Jesus, to know him with a new commitment to meeting him in his Word and living biblically as a result. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
where we're going to serve our family of faith together. We'll ask you not to 